Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi there, I'm Georgie Ainsley, and every week I talk to someone who is a performance person. They could be an athlete from the world of entertainment, business, or politics. They could even be an astronaut. The key link is, of course, that they all know how to perform at the top level, and they can teach us all a thing or two about how to do that in our own lives at whatever it is that we do. Performance People is available wherever you get your podcasts, or of course, you can watch us on YouTube, where you can also subscribe, and please do. Sarah J. Mee, SJ to her friends, of which I should disclose I am one, is a Sky News presenter and the anchor of the UK Tonight, broadcast weeknights at 8pm on Sky News. SJ's covered some of the biggest recent live news events and breaking stories, including the death of Margaret Thatcher, the Manchester Arena bombing, the wedding of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, the 2016 US presidential election and the death of the Queen. SJ and her team won a Royal Television Society Award for their coverage of the Brussels terror attack, and she presented the first completely remote broadcast in the UK during lockdown. Live TV, people go, oh, you're going to interview this person. Okay, when? Next. Oh, um, you know, and you haven't prepped for that. So the adrenaline rushes and you have to think on your feet. I mean, you've been there, Georgie. Gosh, it's, you know, it's the brilliance of the job, but also the beast of the job. I literally burst into tears on air. Uh, my director and my team looked after me. They sort of took me out of vision and we went to an ad break and I could collect myself. Uh, myself. But I just remember thinking, oof, things feel different for me now. But I think with this job, I, I think I self-sabotaged. I think I sort of set myself up for failure a little bit. Uh, and I don't know why that was. Oh, SJ Malay, it's so nice to be able to speak to you down the lens of a camera in this fine way that we can by virtue of a podcast link. How are you who, doing? Who I'm good. Who would have ever thought we'd be speaking to each other in a professional capacity on a podcast? I would not have put money on that. So full disclosure, full disclosure, we were flatmates for how long? We were flatmates for about a couple of years, year and a half, something like yeah, that, Yeah, two, three we? years, maybe something like that. Oh, Notting think, Hill years. Yeah, yeah Notting Hill. Look, I'm clinging on to it. Look, I've got my mug. Portobello oh, Princess. don't leave it behind. Just keep it there that was, somewhere Yeah, that was the mind. old days. Most of my mugs now say mummy on them. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know how times have changed, how they have changed. How are you doing though? Are you okay? I mean, there's a lot of, um, we, you know, we, we sort of talk about the fact that uh, we've known each other for an awfully long time, but I haven't spoken to you for ages. How are you? How are you getting on? I know. How's how's mummyhood? How's life? Really good. Yeah, good. In fact, I was thinking about it just before we came on and I haven't actually seen you physically given you a squeeze since my wedding last year. Well, over a year ago now, I got married in August, didn't I, last year? Um, Good. Life's been busy. You know, when people say, oh, wait until your kids get older, life goes so quickly. (laughs) It's such a cliche because it's true. This year has just whizzed past. But I've got a new show. I've moved from the afternoons on Sky News to the evenings, which is really good. The UK Tonight. Um, obviously, I've got a toddler and a nine-year-old boy, so that's all busy. I don't live in London anymore. I move out in the co- live, moved out to the country, so there's the commuting and the constant juggle. So, yeah, so I think that's been keeping me busy for the last 12 months or so. How do you find the whole work-life balancing? I mean, when we were living together and sharing a flat, I think... You know, we were a bit like ships passing in the night because our shifts were very, very different. But you yeah. were always very good at sort of managing your own time and super organised in that way. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I find that I I used to be super organised and I used to be super on top of it. But I've had to learn, I've had to reteach myself how to just go with the flow and not worry too much. I always about remember you were one of the last people clinging on to a. I always remember you were the last one to cling on to a written diary. <laughs> you still got that. <laughs> I was like, Georgie, we're not in the 1950s anymore. He keeps a paper diary. <laughs> I think I am a bit old fashioned, um, you know. I think I am a bit old fashioned. I think I do need to sometimes get a bit more <laughs> with the programme. This is the most modern thing I've ever done. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was very impressed that we were able to set up and start on time. Um, how did I manage? Um, well, I was a freelancer when we lived mm. together. So the nature of being freelance is obviously you don't have a secure gig do you so you say yes to everything and I don't think that mentality's ever left me so I would do overnight shifts morning shifts I'd do new shifts sport shifts and you just say yes to everything because the worst thing as a freelancer is having a blank diary there's no work which means no money so I just always remember having to be quite regimented because often I would be doing a sports show and then a couple of hours later I'd have to go and do a new show so I'd have to be really organized um and I don't think that's ever left me actually even when I got a permanent role with Sky News I think that sort of stayed with me because you're just your instinct is just to work 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 because you never know when it's going to stop I find it quite hard to relax and go it's okay it's okay to have nothing in the diary because that freelance mentality I think I had it for so long I literally can't let it go I remember really clearly you coming home actually from work one day and saying I'm in a bit of a dilemma and a bit of a quandary because on this side I've got Sky News on this side I've got Sky Sports and you were flying in both areas but you were like I think I've got to make a call. Mm. I think I've got to make a choice. And again, like you say, that freelance mentality of just sort of wanting to to say yes to everything. And you really struggled, didn't you, with basically going, I've got to put all my cards in this particular deck. I think that was was a a tricky one. It was because I really enjoyed both, really enjoyed both. And part of me thought, why can't I do both? Why can't I do both? But actually didn't end up being sustainable because I ended up um, being offered the breakfast show on Sky News. And, you know, you've done breakfast shows. <laughs> you know, 
how painful they can be just in terms of the hours. It might only be three hours a day, but you're getting up at three in the morning. You're having to engage your brain at three in the morning, prepare all your notes for big interviews. You might be interviewing a government minister. You might be interviewing, you know, someone who's got a really important, tragic story to tell and you want to be across it to, to do their story justice. So you have to engage your brain so early. And three hours of live television is exhausting. And when I took that on, I just had to knock sport on the head because I didn't have the bandwidth um, physically and mentally. Because you know what it's like at Sky Sports News, for example. People go, oh, you're only on telly for three hours. <laughs> but you have to be across everything from rugby league to golf, you know, Premier League, Champions League, some obscure sport happening on the other side of the world that you'd never heard of until that day. Do you know what I mean? It's all of that. It's just, it takes a real mental toll and you come off air after three hours and you're physically exhausted, physically exhausted. Um, So my decision was made for me, really, when I was offered the breakfast show. It was too good an opportunity to, to turn down, you know, one of the best jobs in TV. So sadly, sport had to stop. But, you know, I still love it and I still dip my toe in every now and again just because I can't help it. Freelance mentality and I want the best of both worlds. Funny, though, because I remember with Sky Sports News that the shifts were long, like you say. Like I remember when I first started, it was sort of six hours on air for that morning show. Good Morning Sports fans was six hours of live television. And okay, there was a (laughs) lot. You tune it in at 11 and go, is it still Good Morning? And there was a lot of repetition, right? I mean, we used to have this policy that every every 15 minutes would go again and then we'd go again. But you've still got to be on it for that because at the slightest moment, like you say, something could throw a curveball in and you're suddenly doing an interview with someone that you weren't doing two minutes ago and you've got to be reactive. You've got to be really good. And I think one of the other things you've got to be really good at is is also letting something go. Now, with sport... um, you can do that quite easily, right? You're on air, you're reporting what's going on. If there's a live action uh, taking place somewhere, you're reporting on that. You're also telling mm. and imparting um, uh, stuff to the viewer. That's, that's your gig. And then you get to leave it at the end of the hour, at the end of the shift and walk off set and go home. And, and actually you can enjoy sport in the evening if it's on or whatever else and, and, and be engaged in that way. News, it's not quite the same deal, is it? You're forever having to absorb the news and you're forever in mm. that moment with the news. So how do you ever switch off? Can you switch off? Um, you have to force yourself I think before I had a family, I was guilty of not doing that in terms of, you know, people always used to joke when they came over that Sky News was always on in the background. It's like back in the good old days when people had a roaring fire in their house, you know, in, in days of yore. Um, instead of a roaring fire as a backdrop, I've got Sky News on a massive screen uh, in my flat or whatever. Um, but since having a family, you know, there is a lot of bad news around. A lot of it's quite upsetting. So I don't tend to have it on when the children are around. Plus Ray, my three-year-old, dictates the TV habits in the family room. It's, you know, Bluey or Peppa Pig. <laughs> you know, there's no breakfast TV news. Um, but I think I have to have a bit of space in between the news and home life in terms of I just turn it off for a couple of hours. I have to keep across it. You do as a journalist, you know, you can't miss a trick. You have to be constantly aware of what's going on. So I do check it on my phone. But I just try and ration it. And I think... I'm quite honest with people who ask me this question a lot, because particularly with with what's going on in the world, I mean, you know, just two of the biggest examples recently, the war in Ukraine and what's happening uh, between Israel and Hamas, two of the most upsetting stories you could ever cover. Um, 
people say to me, how do you cope? And you have to say you have to switch off. You have to make a conscious decision to ration your news intake on a daily basis because it is so overwhelming. And, and some of the stuff we deal with is so upsetting on a human level. Politics and, you know, all of that aside, there's utter devastation happening in the world. The world's a pretty scary, awful place at the moment. Um, and you just sort of have to take yourself out of that, particularly when you're dealing with it in a professional capacity. I really feel for my colleagues who are on the ground at the moment mm. in terms of what they're having to see and do, because, you know, they don't get to switch off. They're there. They're eyewitnesses. Um, whereas when you're back here in the UK, you have that as a bit of a luxury, a bit of a buffer. Um, but I'm much better at it now, mainly because, you know, I don't want my kids to see it. They're too young. And also I just need a break. I just need a circuit breaker. Otherwise, it can be quite overwhelming. There is a strange thing that happens with a journalist as well, because we we thrive on this, um, especially if we're in love with live television. We thrive on the ability to break mm. news. Yeah. You know, you want to love be that, per that journalist, that person that gets to break the story. But when the story is so mm. tragic, how do you separate the, the professional with the personal? Um, I went through a, a, a bit of a phase when... Well, it's a phase that's sort of doing a disservice. I went through a sort of moment in time when I came back from maternity leave. I think I had maternity leave at quite a weird time. The world was a weird place. It was lockdown, COVID pandemic. So I didn't have a a normal maternity. Everything was overwhelming. Everything was scary. You know, and being a new mum, a new parent is scary enough, right, yeah. in that first year. So I sort of had a, a really, really weird year and then came back to work. And I think. I don't think mentally I was ready even after a year because of, you know, we'd all dealt with difficult things in the pandemic. I dealt with that as well as having a new baby in this scary time. So I think when I came back to work, I, I probably wasn't ready. I still felt really raw. So things were really affecting me much more so than they used to. So I'll always remember when Kabul fell, uh, the Taliban took Kabul in Afghanistan and we were bringing people images of the airport because obviously that was going to be locked down and people were desperately trying to get out of Afghanistan you know everybody was heading to the airport and I just remember seeing these images of parents handing over that trying to hand their babies over the fences of the mm. the airport perimeter to American soldiers you know soldiers people they didn't know like they were just willing to hand their baby over to someone they didn't know they wouldn't know where they ended up but all they knew it was better than what was coming behind them and I just found that so affecting. And it like, I literally burst into tears on air. Uh, my director and my team looked after me. They sort of took me out of vision and we went to an ad break and I could collect myself. Uh, myself. But I just remember thinking, oh, things feel different for me now. Um, and I've sort of steeled myself to it, you know, another year on. But I think it's good for people in the field who are professionals to show a bit of emotion to show that it does impact them because there's this whole stiff upper lip thing and mm. um, and that's across society but particularly when you're a, a news anchor you know nobody wants me weeping on air obviously but I think it's okay just to check yourself and say you know I'm being affected as much as you are watching this at home um but the way I've dealt with that is I'm here to tell their story. I'm not here to cry for them. A lot of those people are getting on with it. 
they're not crying. They're trying to survive. They're trying to get their story out, tell the world about what is happening to them. They're not sitting down weeping. They're actually trying to do something. So it's not up to me to cry for them. It's up to me to tell their story, tell the world their story. So that's how I get in the zone when it's difficult stories like that, because I have changed since having a child. And I'm sure everybody said that to you. Oh, it changed when you have kids. Duh, duh, duh. And I just thought, oh, don't be ridiculous. You know, I've got empathy. I, you know, I, I know how to to feel as well as being professional. But it did change. Something in me did change. And I find it a lot harder. Um, so it's just trying to ration it and getting the getting the right mindset when you know those stories are coming. Yeah, I, I think I think you just you just get a sense of how precious life is. And, you know, you and I both, you know, when we lived together and we were single, it was work, work, work. Any time off, we were out having fun. It was sort of not that we didn't have a care in the world, but. I think when you have it children, wasn't so heavy, it wasn't so your heavy. world gets smaller. Yeah, your world gets smaller. Yeah you realise how fragile life is. And, you know, I'm big on work-life balance now in terms of there are mornings I have with Ray that are untouchable. My Fridays with Ray, she's going to go to school next year. And at some point she's not going to say, mummy, mummy, come and play with me. Mummy, mummy, come and dance with me. I've got this little pocket of time. And I feel that uh, my work-life balance is something I work really hard at because, like I said, I've only got another three or four years before she disappears off into school and it's after school clubs, it's around at friends' houses, it's, you know, all of that. And I'm not going to be her number one anymore. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, if you can as a parent, the work-life balance thing is something that should be really high up the priority list. It's it's really hard though, isn't it, to still make that work in practical terms. I find myself sometimes in charge of the kiddos and really loving the fact that we've got this moment together and then the phone goes mm. and then I'm back on that and I'm texting oh, away and I'm just dis morning. completely disconnected. It's the same. It just, you have to keep checking yourself nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> it's happened to me this morning. So <clears throat> I knew I was doing this podcast. So I've put Ray into nursery for a couple of hours. But then as I did that, I got a phone call going, SJ, can you come in and do the Sky News podcast? Or oh, SJ, we've got an interview with Stuart Broad um, this afternoon. So, you know, your day is constantly changing. Yeah. So there are days where you have to let it go and just think, right, I've got to concentrate on this. And there, I think it's just knowing, knowing your red lines. I mean, I'm terrible. I do blur them. But, you know, knowing when to say no, I think is a good thing. Um, but, you know, going into viewing England cricket legend like I'm not going to say no to that am I you know but there are certain instances where you just <laughs> sorry think, Ray Stuart no, Broad sorry, Ray so, yeah no yeah, sorry Stuart, Ray Stuart no, Broad, she, she gets it she loves she loves the cricket she loves the cricket um but you know you say yes to certain things and you make it work that's the juggle right but other times you just think no I I want to do this I can't do everything you have to pick and choose I think is there anything you wish you hadn't said yes to <laughs> oh gosh um <laughs> <laughs> is there anything I, oh gosh probably nothing i could put on this podcast that would keep me in a job <laughs> i remember um, going and hosting i remember going and hosting the fireman of the year awards in derry in ireland <laughs> a, a fair few years ago that was <laughs> that was one i probably should have weighed up <laughs> is there is any conversation that you know it's coming because there's any conversation where the phone call starts with could you just because could you just 
means so much more. It sounds so casual, <laughs> so inconsequential. Could you just could you just make me a cup of tea? Could, could you just? Do, but you know they don't factor in the fact you've got to get childcare, you've got to prep, you know you've got to travel, you know all of that kind of stuff. There is no such thing as can you just when that phone goes. So it's knowing when to say no. I'm still trying to get it right. You've got a great partner in crime, though, in Ben, right? He's all over it. And he's he's mm. a fantastic plus one, isn't he? He really, really does dig deep and, and really helps you yeah. sort of on this journey. I mean, one of the things that I want to talk about with you is this thing which I think you such inner strength because at a time when I think uh, me myself and a few other friends were busy going SJ SJ definitely date this guy or definitely date this guy or definitely go out with this guy and you're like no 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 you were just you desperate ha- for me to no, get a, a, get we were, a plus one to we hang out worried, with you and all your husbands we were, you all went off and got married <laughs> We not my all, fault. We were all worried. We we're like, oh my God, no, she's so amazing. She needs this perfect partner. And and one thing that you were I brilliant wasn't at. Worried. But no, one thing you were brilliant at was just not settling, which was absolutely mm. admirable and brilliant because there's a ton of people out there that will just settle. Um and I think it's really, mm. really brave. So so you know, was that just something within you that you said, Well, I don't care. Like I'm gonna get to this age, and if it hasn't happened for me, then I'm fine with that. I mean, were you always fine with that? Um, I think I was in the main. In fact, actually, I gave a speech at my wedding. And um, in that, I mentioned my mum and dad. I just said to my mum and dad, thank you for not putting pressure on me, even when my life didn't look like anyone else's in terms of my peers. Mum and dad never asked me, like, oh, have you got a boyfriend or when are we getting grandchildren? That was never, a t- like, it was never even said in jest. Um, my dad in particular, like, he w- would never call himself a feminist because he's old-fashioned. <laughs> you know, a, a bit calling a man a feminist is probably wasn't something that was done back then. But he was. He was like, you've got so many opportunities open to you. Your generation, you can do what all the men are doing. Just go out, embrace it, grab everything with both hands. Don't worry about boyfriends, they'll come later. And it was just something that was always in my psyche growing up, uh, growing up well into my late 30s. Um, (laughs) But I said that in my wedding speech because I just, you know, I wanted them to know that this wedding, this family, this home that, you know, I'd created with Ben was in part down to them and their you know, their instincts with what to do with me and my sister, they were like, you've got amazing opportunities, just go and enjoy life, marriage and kids, all all that will come, you know, just, just get on with life. So I just think I always had that attitude and I didn't worry about it. I mean, obviously it's really annoying when you went off and got married, Pinky (laughs) went off and got married, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, But, you know, I was lucky that all my friends married great guys and, you know, it's not like you all disappeared. Um, So I never felt that pressure. And then when you all started having babies, I I became the Elton John of the group, godmother to everyone. I lose count of how many godchildren I've got. Um, But, yeah, I think it was just a case of I was just enjoying life. What, you know, what, what wasn't to enjoy? I was working really hard at my career, had a great set of friends, living in London, you know, I was just having a great time. And I just always thought that that will happen eventually. I I didn't see it not happening. I just didn't really have a plan. I had a plan for every other aspect of my life, but not that. 
We talk a bit on the podcast about a day or a time in your life which sort of changed it up um, to the point where mm. you took a different path. I mean, do you see that as sort of meeting mm. Ben? Do you see that as the bit for you where you said that's, you know, I'm, I'm now going off on a different trajectory here? Yeah, I think for me, I met Ben, but I think the pivotal moment in our relationship was we'd only been together a few months and it was just in the run up to Christmas and I lost my voice. And obviously as a broadcaster, that is That's not a bad thing. And I remember, oh yeah. And I remember going to the GP and her saying, oh, we think you've got laryngitis. And I just remember thinking, I think it's more than that. Anyway, I ended up um, going for a second opinion and I had a paralyzed vocal cord. Like just one of those weird things when you get a virus, it can affect your body in different ways. <laughs> and this sneaky virus had decided to paralyze one of my vocal cords. And when I say I'd lost my voice, I literally lost my voice, could not speak. I was, you know, operating with a pen and pad, couldn't work. Um, and again, that's really frightening because you just think, is my voice going to come back? Is it going to sound the same? You know, I just I couldn't day to day talk. Um, and Ben was just brilliant like I said we'd been together four or five months and he was like I've got this like I've got you I've got this we're gonna look after he scooped me up I went for an operation there was a long recovery time over Christmas and New Year and I think all in all it took about five six months luckily <clears throat> I had an injection in my vocal cord that got it that got it started again and fortunately it just naturally came back after that injection wore off I didn't know the medical terminology for it but um it was during that period I was like he is the one like it like he literally swept in and took care of me you know I knew he was the one before that but he just locked us solid it was he doesn't care about anything else he just cares that I'm okay and if I'm not okay it's his job to look after me or to to help me get whatever I need I think that was a real turning point for me and I just saw the value of being a team with someone. And it was just us two at the time and his son, Teddy. We became this, this close little threesome. And then Ray came along and now we're a really tight four. You know, we tell each other, well, it's going to sound really sickly, but we tell each other we love each other every day. We're really there for each other. We give each other, you know, high fives, go have a great day. You know, we're one of those sickening families. But I just think being part of a team is so important. And that's what that taught me. Um, you know, your career can be gone like that. You know, we all know that, especially broadcasting, you know, you, it can be over. Um, and just having just having a team on your side, you know, who just say everything's going to be OK as long as we've got each other, as long as we've got our health and um, everything's OK. So I think that was my turning point. And, and that's when I started not getting serious about my career, but thinking, right, what do I want it to look like to fit in with what else I want? How do I shape this so I can make it the best for me and my family, not just work, work, work and say yes to everything. So I think that was a pivotal point for me. And you and I have probably always um, had to face that question about ambition and sort of why, you know, girls and guys get it regularly. Um, you know, guys, ambition is a word that's always positive linked to men. But when it's linked to women, it's a little negative in connotation. I mean, what yeah. is what is 
your feeling about that, SJ, and also moving forward, what is the big, is there a big ambition beyond where you're at? Because you've done such a great job to get to where you are and now you've got this work-life balance going on. Will it be enough Mm. to sustain you? Will it hold, is is that going to hold or do you want more? Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because ambition, I was always embarrassed about that word. Me too. Um, If, yeah, if somebody said, oh, you're ambitious, you'd instantly feel embarrassed. Yeah. Because ambition was billed as sort of elbowing people out of the way, stepping on other people's shoulders, not in a good way to get to where you're going. It was always billed, as you said, really differently for for girls and women. Um, I don't think, I think I'm unusual in terms of I've never had a big goal. I knew that, well, I, I wanted to work in breakfast television and I did that, tick loved that and then obviously fell pregnant and it didn't work for my life at the time um but I've been really lucky with with Sky in terms of the opportunities that they've given me you know loads of different sports shows cricket football you know Saturday night football Sky Sports News Sky News breakfast you know evening like I've I've done a lot and so I don't think I've ever had one massive ambition, but I've been lucky that opportunities have come my way and I've just grabbed them and run yeah. with them. And often people say, this is another thing. Oh, what next? What do you want to do next? And sometimes I feel the pressure of that because I just think, what's wrong with what I'm doing now? Yeah. I remember getting the breakfast show and to me, that was the biggest thing ever. You know, I'd worked with Eamon Holmes on that show. He decided to leave and they gave it to me. And it was massive. You know, I'm following Eamon Holmes, somebody who I cl- count as a close friend now, but I grew up watching him. He's Mr. Breakfast Telly. Yeah. Um, so that was massive. But I remember about two or three months in, actually, even in interviews I was doing around the show, the launch of the new show, what's next for you? And I just thought, what is just wrong with sitting in this for a bit, getting a bit comfy, enjoying what's going on around me. There's this mentality of what's next, what's next, what's next. I just need to enjoy what's going on and savour this moment because what if this is as good as it gets? Nothing wrong with that. Um, You know, so then I got an afternoon show and an evening. I'm doing lots of different things, but it's always that question, what next, what next? In fact, next time I get asked it, I might just go, there's nothing next. This might be it. wrong with that do you know what do you know no do you know what's really interesting as well though is consistency because if you do something I mean Mm. any successful person will say this right if you do something for a period of time over and over and over and over and over again with the same Mm. team as well that you're working with because you have to create those rapports and that's important like it's not just the person in front of Mm. the camera right there's a million people behind you doing what you're doing to make it all come together so to build that team that makes something successful in the way that you have requires consistent performances you know and sometimes it'll be a good hour and sometimes it'll be a better hour you know the next week or whatever but you're Mm. building constantly and I think that that gets Mm. really underplayed as well like the ability to just have time doing a thing we see it in football the whole time don't we with managers that get kicked out after a season because they've been crap Mm. but they just maybe possibly (laughs) are trying so brutal (laughs) I know but they're trying to build a thing right and the managers get made the scapegoats because it's an easy you know, get them out. But actually, reality. Can you imagine probably... if, they, if they had a human resources department in football for managers? It'd be much more difficult. Maybe they'd stick with one a little bit longer to see how it goes. Always amazes me. Always amazes me how you can get sacked 
Yeah, but way back when, when Fergie and uh, Wenger were in charge of Man United and Arsenal, mm. you know, they had strange periods of time where it didn't always go according to plan. But yeah. in this day and age, they'd be out the door, right? It's crazy. Yeah, it's like that consistency so piece. Yeah. So I think there's mm. something in that, isn't there? There's something in being allowed to do a thing over and over again, like Malcolm Gladwell said in yeah. Outliers. <laughs> yeah, there. <laughs> me and Malcolm Gladwell. Um, there is, in terms of the show I do now, the UK Tonight, 8 till 9, Sky News, Monday to Thursday. You can also see it on the webpage. Um, we have got a great team. And the beauty of being at Sky News for so long is I know so many of the producers so many people who are now working on different things. Our paths have all crossed at various points or another. <clears throat> so it's lovely. The team I've got in the UK tonight are people I've worked with before and really, really respect. They're brilliant. So I feel like it's almost like Avengers Assemble. I feel like I've got my favourite people from across my time at Sky News working on my show. And it is an hour. And, you know, I'm used to doing anywhere between three and six hours on air. And if something goes wrong, you're like, oh, it's really annoying but i've got another four hours ahead in front of me so i'll just yeah. make sure that we're all brilliant for that <laughs> but with an hour of tv <laughs> if something goes wrong you really feel it because you come to the yeah. end of the hour and you yeah. go, oh gosh gotta get it got it get it done again tomorrow not that anything's gone wrong yet but we're sort of realizing how precious an hour of tv is it's not that much time mm. at all um and when you're trying to tell so many stories because on our show it's it's uk focused and we're really really conscious of showcasing the brilliant stuff that's going on in the UK as well, not just all the awful stuff of which, you know, you can all use your imagination as to what that is. We talk about it day in, day out. Um, but an hour is not a lot of time. So we're really packing it in. We're, we're using the phrase um, quality rather than quantity on our show. But it's really important to have that team and do it day in, day out and figure out what works and you know, what viewers want to see. We're only about a month in and I feel like we're getting into our rhythm and it's really interesting to to see what works and what doesn't. But yeah, it is that repetition. It's that repetition that, that really, really hones that hour of TV. And I know you said you don't like to get anything wrong, but failure teaches you so much more than success. Mm. Is there something in particular that you think, oh, yeah. bugger, I really stuffed that up, but actually it's given me an awful <laughs> lot of knowledge for what I now need to do moving yeah. forward. Um, oh gosh, I went for, um, oh gosh, ages and ages ago, I went for a, a job interview to get a gig. And I did that classic, what's that um, phrase? Fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Yeah, yeah. And I think like I prepare all day, like, when you're going on TV, you've got interviews, different subject matters. So it's constantly like cramming for an exam. So I know how to prepare. But I think with this job, I, I think I self-sabotaged. I think I sort of set myself up for failure a little bit. Uh, and I don't know why that was. I still haven't gotten to, gotten to the bottom of it. In what way? Um, um, I, just, I just wasn't prepared for what they were going to ask me. And I remember seeing in that interview going, oh, I either don't want this gig and I've self-sabotaged or I don't know, I just can't put my finger on it. It's really weird. But I, di I didn't get that job, uh, understandably. Um, and I could have done. I could have got that job because 
if I'd have prepared, I'd have got it. I don't know. And I think that was a real moment for me where I thought, actually, I failed at that. I'm not brilliant at everything. And I think it just taught me a lot about my psyche in terms of I probably didn't want that enough. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think I've been in that situation before as well with a job in TV when I turned up and did exactly the same thing. I just totally winged it. Isn't it weird? Sometimes sometimes winging it can work itself out, but most of the time it doesn't. And I think, like you say, the diligence in being a journalist is that you do your preparation. And if you don't do your preparation... I still still can't understand why why Mm. I did that. I really don't know. Like I've discussed it since and it's just, I feel like it was self-sabotage, but it was good for me. It was actually good for me to fail at something, I think. Not that, you know, oh God, I'm brilliant. I do well at everything. But that was probably the first thing in my career that I haven't got. Uh, And I don't know, it's definitely self-sabotage. But do you um, regret, do you regret yeah, not getting... Yeah, it was just really interesting. Do you regret not getting no, the gig? No, not at all. No, which is why I think it was self-sabotage. Mm. At the time, I was like, well, this would be a really interesting opportunity. I could do this. Da, 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 da. And yeah, I just didn't, didn't prepare enough. Um, but in terms of failure, I think... Oh, gosh, you know, I don't think I've made many failures on air. Like, there are silly mistakes that happen. That's the nature of live TV, and you do beat yourself up about that, that it might be a tiny thing you got wrong, but you just think, oh, you know, it's the nature of the beast, right? Live TV, you can't get everything spot on. And I'm not talking about factual errors, but I'm just talking about, you know, not asking a question as well as you wanted to, because yeah. live TV, people go, oh, you're going to interview this person. Okay, when? Next. Oh, um, you know, and you haven't prepped for that. So the adrenaline rushes and you have to think on your feet. I mean, you've been there, Georgie. Gosh, it's, you know, it's the brilliance of the job, but also the beast of the job. And you'll get to the end of it and you'll just think, oh, if only I'd have had five more minutes headspace, I would have asked that question better. I'd have followed up on that. That's just the nature of live TV. You can't get everything spot on. But what I do fail at is um, pre-recorded TV. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I, I used to be terrible. Yeah, I used oh, to be terrible at pre-recording. I just can't it's do it. I think it's because the the pressure isn't there. Yeah, so you know, you it's almost like you know you can get it wrong, and there'll be another take. Hmm. Like if ever I do, when I do get it right, or the crew look at me as if to go, "Oh, uh, <laughs> should we do it again? Why don't we try it this way?" It's like we, I just did it. It was fine. I do live TV. I've just done it in one take. And they're like, oh, no, because they're so used to like so yeah. many takes. But I mean, I don't often get it in one take. I think I have too much time to think about it. And then I trip myself up. Whereas live you know, TV, you've just got to get it right first time. One of the things we love about live TV, probably you and I together and, and anyone that does it, is this unpredictability of it, the unpredictable nature. I mean, it's the, one of the things mm. I love about sport is this thing where oh, it just it. keeps throwing up the unpredictable. Like whenever you think it's not going to happen, then it might and then it does. And all those yeah. sorts of things are just so exciting. Mm. Uh, in, terms of, in terms of broadcasting, I mean... The Rod Stewart thing springs to mind. Have there been any other moments <laughs> where live TV has just caught you completely and utterly unawares? <laughs> it's so funny. My name at the moment at Sky is synonymous with Rod Stewart. <laughs> Sir Rod Stewart. <laughs> SJ, can you get Sir Rod Stewart on? <laughs> We're like that now. 
What a charming man he is. We just love tell, to watch just him, tell yeah. that just tell that story though. Just tell that story because it is brilliant. <laughs> for the for those of you who don't know, um, yeah. so we were doing a phone in on the NHS, and it was three hours of live TV, people calling in, messaging in. We had a panel of experts, and I was in vision for the whole thing. So the camera was never off me. We, we didn't go to like reports or anything. And every time a caller came in, because it was on the phone, you just had a graphic and then a picture of me. So I had to look, you know, at the camera the entire time. So I'd actually, I'd love to watch it back because in my ear, I got somebody saying, uh, SJ, we might have Sir Rod Stewart for you. There must've been some kind of flicker in my eyes or like a, <gasps> And of course, I can't talk to the gallery because I'm too busy interviewing people, but this is coming into my ear. And I just remember thinking, no, this is a hoax. Somebody's rung up by a Rod Stewart impersonator or something and is winding us up. Anyway, in the background, people are checking it out. No, no, it's the real Sir Rod Stewart. His agent's on the phone. He wants to come on and talk about the NHS. So the next thing I hear, they go, SJ, um, Sir Rod Stewart's next. So look at camera six, introduce Sir Rod Stewart. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So the next thing I was talking to Sir Rod Stewart about the NHS and, you know, bless him. He was offering free scans to people who couldn't get them on the NHS, you know, utterly charming. But, you know, he was just watching at home, literally playing with his model train set. Have you seen it? <laughs> no. It's been in all the papers. He's got like this vast model train set set up and he's got Sky News on in the corner and he plays with his model trains and watches my show. I love it. <laughs> I need to put that on my my uh, social media bio, don't I? Rod Stewart. You 100% do. You have number one fan. Um, so, yeah, so it's little things like that. Like, I did not see that coming. And obviously everybody on Sky News just thought it was brilliant. All my colleagues like, ah, oh, so Rod Stewart. It's She's funny, though, because you forget, um, you forget you're in people's living rooms all of the time. Your your cons. I remember. Oh. I remember those moments from Sky Sports News. I remember one time meeting Robbie Williams and him saying, "Oh my God!" Through some of my like darkest days, I'd always have Sky Sports News on, and it would be, <laughs> and it would be. I was like, "Is that why?" It would be my, and it would be I my know, shift Sky's- or whatever. And they, they, but you forget that you are sort of. It's not I that know. you're an appointment to view, is it? Or may, maybe actually you are now an appointment to view. But actually, it's well, sort of like you're just like- there. Yeah, you're, you're there in the background. So, like, Sky Sports News or Sky News, if you walk past, like, oh, oh, I often used to walk past the state agent's windows and Sky News was on. <laughs> People have big screens in them. Every time I walk past an estate agent, Sky News was on. But I remember being somewhere and going, oh, my God, oh, my God, everybody, everybody, it's Noel Gallagher. Noel Gallagher's over there. Oh, he's going to walk past us. Oh, it's Noel Gallagher. And he came up and he looked at me and he went, I love you. <laughs> I can't say what he said, but I effing love you. And I was like, oh, my God. And my friend Henry was next to me. You know, Henry. And she squeezed my arm. And she went, don't worry. I saw that. I saw that. And I was like, good, because nobody would ever believe that. Noel Gallagher came up and told me he loved me. And I just said, thank you very much. Oh. So, yeah, so it's moments like that. It's quite surreal, isn't it? Yeah, because you're, when you're, we, went to, we went to South Africa, didn't we? And people in South Africa recognised us because Sky, Sky News is big in South Africa. And stuff. Can, it's can we crazy, tell the story of why we went? That. Let's tell the story of why we went to South Africa because it is hilarious. We were at a charity <laughs> cricket day, weren't we? We were at a charity cricket day. Oh, gosh, yeah. And I think possibly we might have had too many um, 
whatever they might have been. Fizzy wines. Fizzy wines. And (laughs) I think, because when we're in that scenario and there's an auction happening, you know what I'm like. I get very excited and inevitably the hand goes up, right? And you wave so, your hands a lot around anyway. I you probably do. weren't even bidding. I do. You're just very expressive. <laughs> so, so, so the moment happened and I heard the word lion and I thought, oh, yes, we're up for that. <laughs> up in the air, straight up. And I think I thought we'd won tickets to the Lion King. And as it turns out, we'd won tickets to a lion sanctuary in South Africa, which was obviously much more expensive. No, <laughs> It's even better. It's even better. You misheard it. It wasn't lions. It was tigers, which, as far as I'm aware, aren't even native to South Africa. But there just happens to be this random tiger sanctuary in South Africa. So you got the you got these tickets, but then we had to pay for everything else, like <laughs> buying flights and accommodation. So we it was a really expensive mistake for both of us. For both of us. But then it got worse, right? Because we turn up at the sanctuary and we're the only people there. And we're housed in this property, which is miles from anywhere else, in the middle of the Tiger oh, you, Reserve. And do you, you remember there was the that front thunderstorm? Door and there was nothing on the horizon. Oh, yeah. And there was that thunderstorm that night and it was sheet lightning. And, and honestly, how terrifying was that? The guys were like, bye then. We'll see you in the morning. And yeah. And they just drove hours, off into the sunset. Yeah, drove away. And so then we're stuck. Friday night of my life. Oh my God. I remember us. I remember us actually with our do. I'm sure there are tweets from that night that you and I both sent because we were both finding it hilarious yeah, probably. that we were underneath our duvet covers. And it wasn't covers. even... It wasn't even the big cats we were scared of. Do you remember the rain spiders oh, in South God, Africa? The rain spiders. And we just had, we were lying in bed and on the pillow next to me, I just heard this thud. And I was like, what is that? And turned on the light and a spider as big as my hand was on the pillow next to me. I slept in the bath that night. I slept in the bath with a duvet over the top of the bath. In this lovely sort of cabin thing, I slept in the bath. These well, the worst thing in the world that they God, could have I've possibly... never seen anything like them. Well, the worst thing in the world they could have done was separate you and I. So we were miles away from each yeah. other in these various different bungalows. That was in the second place we stayed, that was wasn't in the it? second yeah. place we stayed. So first of all, we overcame the tigers in the reserve despite this thunderstorm. But do you remember the night after the thunderstorm, them coming back in and saying, that a couple of fences had been knocked out by the power. Do you remember them saying that? I was like, oh, it's like Jurassic so the big Park. Cats could get through. <laughs> oh my God, how oh, we survived. Look, we lived to tell the tale. We did, we did, we Lesson did. Lesson there, do not bid at auctions because it's never what you think it is. <laughs> okay, so final... Even if you've read the brochure properly. <laughs> Which I hadn't. Final, final question then is... Um, hmm. Okay, a performance tip, a performance hack for people who want to live a better life every day with a little bit of an injection of SJ performance styling. What would you tell them to do better? I mean, I love the fact that you've had like some of the most high performing sports people <laughs> on this podcast and you've asked little old me who's sitting here sort of only just coming around after her first coffee of the day. It takes a lot longer to kick in these days. A performance hack. <clears throat> I mean... I know this is going to sound average to the people that you have on the podcast, but to the people listening who I feel are more like me, are <laughs> um, not at all elite sporty, um, is making the time to move as in exercise. It doesn't even have to be going to the gym, but um, like I'm trying to get in my 10,000 steps a day just by going for a walk in the morning before I start my day or 
going on the exercise bike for half an hour because I find that if I ring fence that it only has to be half an hour, yeah. you know, three or two or three days a week, just not like listening to music or listening to a podcast that isn't related to your job, like something silly. I find that that really sets me up, not just for the day, but for the week. And I've really struggled to do that in the last couple of years, what with moving quite far away from my job. So I do, I have to, I've got a big commute basically. And I've got two children and a husband that's got a very busy job. So I can't always ring fence the time, but I'm really trying to do it now. And I've been doing it for the last two or three months regularly. And it's made a massive improvement, not just my physical health, but my mental health as well. And I think that was always the first thing to go because life's so busy. It's like, I haven't mm. got time for that. I've got to get that train and then I've got to be here. Oh, it's only half an hour. I could squeeze. Oh no, I can't. I'll, I'll leave it. I'll do it tomorrow. But I'm now putting it in my diary as an appointment. And like I said, it doesn't have to be full gym kit on. Let's get ready. Let's warm up. It can be, I've got half an hour. I'm going to just go for a walk with my headphones on or whatever. I just find it just clears my head. And it's so simple. And I've heard people say it before, but my tip is just to put it in your diary as an appointment. You're doing it then. It has to be something massive for it to be moved. Um, and yeah, that's really helped me, I think, over the last few months, just to get my head in the game and just be more focused. Yeah, the only thing that could move it is an interview with Stuart Broad. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And hopefully he'll listen. To, he might, he may listen to this after the interview, but I haven't even got a copy of his book yet. I'm hoping I'll get sent it on email to read it on the train. You've got a speed route. <laughs> I mean, I know quite a lot about Stuart Broad anyway, but I, I should at least read the book before the interview. Quite so. SJ Malone, it's a good job it's I can so... skim read. That's oh, the beauty of working for Sky News. Yeah. Just skim read everything. I consume information very quickly. That and selective hearing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, ear, ear pods, ear pieces. <laughs> Earplugs. If you've had earplugs in for this interview, I'd be really insulted. <laughs> Maybe you should put that as a disclaimer at the start disclaimer. of the podcast. <laughs> All right, Trouble. Lovely to catch up. Mwah. Lots of love. Good luck with Stuart Broad. So good to see you, GT. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.